What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm an basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. I, today, am your host, Cranjus McBasketball. You can call me Tim. And today, we're champions. The Lakers did it. Um, all right, let me, let me shut that off. Uh, the Lakers did it. We beat Miami game six. We actually saw a lot of the adjustments on the Lakers side that, that we spoke about last pod. It was good to finally see it. We saw that drop coverage used. On higher volume, we saw Miami be able to do nothing against it. Uh, we talked about that pre-series. We talked about that after game one, two, three, four. Uh, finally, the Lakers won to it. We saw the move to starting Alex Caruso, which I thought was a really good move. It was right in line with uh, the LA could have started switching more or they could have been running that drop coverage. They switched in a, a little bit of both of those and really gave us an opportunity to start celebrating before the game was even over. So... Oh my goodness, I'm so thrilled. I I know this uh, podcast is coming to you over a week after LA won the title. Um, I've been enjoying a short time off from basketball. I know it's it's just such a daily grind, dude. It, watching is one thing, and, and the time it takes to stay up to speed and, and consume all the analysis and watch everything is one thing. Throughout the playoffs, I wasn't reading anybody else. I was barely listening to any other podcast. It was watch the game grind through hours of film, synthesize everything I could, logging film, tracking my own like hand analytics for different things like the screen coverages, combining that with the data that we have for the analysis, all those podcasts, all of those five, 10,000 word articles. But that's over now. Now we are to the more laid back portion of the year, but that does not mean the content stops. You had our short break and, and I think moving forward, we will be having this pod up and running. I, I'll have to talk to Tom and see exactly what we're able to do. He's not able to be here with us today, but we'll have him on soon. And I can't wait to just react to the title with him, review some things, talk some shit, just chop it up. Uh, but moving forward, I, I think we have a, a decent plan together for the offseason. Still need to iron out what the rhythm will look like and the order and all of that. But I have a, a big laundry list of topics that I would love to cover. I think would be interesting to you. We are going to start off with some position position group mini pods uh, with me or me and Tom for today. It'll be just me. Then Tom and I are going to tag up, go over what we would actually like to see the Lakers do this off season. We'll have, I, I think a superlatives pod with Tom. I'd love to go over the coaching staff and, and Palenka and 
really the structure and the organization around the Lakers with Tom. Uh, as moves happen, we'll be here to react and provide analysis. I think I'd also like to just once a week, maybe just me, maybe both of us, go through a player at a time and say, okay, today we're going to talk about KCP and what we saw from him this season, what his role was, what we think his role can be moving forward next year based on what we know, what we would like him to work on developing this offseason, what the data says we should expect him to either develop or stagnate with or maybe even take a step back for all of those different things, um, especially for for whatever new guys, if LA brings in any new players, understanding how they might fit into the bigger picture, what their role could be, taking a look at guys and saying, hey, you know what? He had this great skill set. He flashed it. I'd love to see him move from his role A into a more of a role B because that's a better fit with his skills. So all, all sorts of stuff like that. Maybe one guy a week. We can certainly take our time. That'll get us <laughs> several months of content once a week. Uh, so, so I'm thinking maybe two or three pods a week. That could be one of them. One of them I'd like to either have one a week, either introducing some new basketball index data content and say, not just, you know, the general stuff, cause we already bake that into our analysis, but saying, okay, here's how our gravity calculations work. Here's what they tell us about the Lakers, or here is our, here are our playmaking metrics. Here's how they work. Here's what goes into them. Here's what they tell us about the Lakers and, and keeping it very specific, but helping increase your versatility, your bag of information that you can pull from. Uh, so either that, or maybe we'll do that one week. And then on the other week, uh, mix in some new scheme concepts or or talk tactics and say, all right, today we're going to talk about functional spacing, or we're going to go over. I'm not sure uh, this top play that the Lakers run, or here's a play the Lakers should be running, or or different things like that. I'll I'll, I'll try to make it the right approach for this audio format. I like to get my YouTube videos back up and running now that we're at the off season. I, I did a couple during the playoffs, but it is such a grind just to get through all the data and film the right way, and then analyze it, and then do it for a podcast. But chopping the film along with that, I'm not quite there yet in my skill set uh, to be able to do that every other day. But now that we're at the off season, I think that'll give me a chance to produce some of that specific content that I think fits in really well with the X's and O's side of things. So expect some of that. So once a week, we'll talk a Laker player. Once a week, we will talk about some data or some X's and O's, some tactics. And then for a third pot of week, and, and this is the one that this is this will be the most fun one. This is the most fun for me is chopping it up with Tom and, and talking about all of those different concepts from recapping this season, looking forward to free agency, talking about the draft, um, all of those different things. Should be a busy schedule, lots of good work on the way. Uh, It may adjust and be flexible, um, be flexible with me today. I may have to hop off really quickly and record the rest of this later. I'm waiting on some COVID test results. Um, But as things pop up, we will adjust, we will cover it. We'll try to make you as prepared and as knowledgeable as we can based on the info that we have at the time. I'm going to take a quick breath and some water because today we will be previewing the first of three position groups so we're going to look at this guards wings and bigs and today we are going to start with the bigs and the four players that I'm going to cover today and we're going to say are the the bigs that we're going to look at are Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, and Markeith Morris. 
Now, there are some other players that you could lump into this group. Um, those are the four key ones that we're going to speak about. I, I don't have a ton of analysis on, on Costas, uh, but these are the four key guys. They were such a backbone to this team in the playoffs, and LA was just so well-constructed with this group specifically to play versatility. And that doesn't mean that Dwight, Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee or Markeith Morris themselves were versatile players because they are very much geared towards a specific style of play. They have their own strengths. They have their own weaknesses. And just as players, their impact data doesn't blow you out of the water. They're just other numbers. Their, their film, it's not going to blow you out of the water. They're not these great all-around versatile guys. But the Lakers do have Anthony Davis, who is that all-around versatile guy, and they're able to pair him with any of those other three, and they can be really big. They can be kind of a normal, but still pretty big, or they can play small, or they can take all three of those other guys out there, have AD as the five, along with LeBron, or they can stick AD out of there and have LeBron play with Markeith. So there were so many different combos where you can have a spectrum from really small to really big. The Lakers very rarely would go to like rockets small like that's that's micro but the lakers were able to play small with the right benefits of playing small of spacing of attacking the opposing team's bigs of attacking the rim well adding some perimeter shooting and on defense being switchable those are those are that's what you're looking for when you're playing smaller and then on the other end the lakers had much much bigger lineups that were protecting the paint at elite elite levels, protecting the rim at elite levels. Yeah, really strong interior post defense. Being able to just run, not just drop coverage, which was the Lakers' base for the regular season, but switch in other coverages. Because in the playoffs, you're going to need to be flexible and play more aggressively. Otherwise, you're just at the mercy of James Harden and uh, Jamal Murray and Dame Lillard if you drop against them, you're giving up shots that maybe you don't want to be giving up. So the Lakers had to adjust their screen coverages based on who they were facing. And they had the personnel to do that, not just by going small, but even with their bigger groups, they had some versatility and they were able to adjust and uh, run some of those different coverages. Now, at times they did go really small and take guys like JaVale and, and Dwight off the court. But I think just the fact that they had so many options and they, the fact that they had a coaching staff that was willing to make those moves was really smart from them and enabled the Lakers to do a whole lot and was really impressive to me. That was one of my key takeaways in terms of, okay, having watched the playoffs, how do we feel differently about team construction moving forward than we did a year ago? And, and actually, a year ago, I looked at Michael Beasley as that, hey, this can be that small ball, Markeith Morris type of guy. Obviously, that didn't work out. The Lakers didn't even make the playoffs because of the injuries that they had. But we saw the Lakers take a similar approach this year and, and add Markeith during the season. Great midseason ad, um, and be able to to add so much to their team. So, uh, from a, a construction and approach level, I was a big fan of this team. I, I was a big fan of this this big position group. They they tried to sign Boogie. He got injured, um, or I guess they, I should say they did sign Boogie. He got injured. They had to pivot, and they pivoted in a hell of a way to Dwight, and then they added Markeith in a move that I think tangibly changes the way that the Lakers played this this postseason. And if if he wasn't in there, I, 
you don't have as many good like that that severely limits what this team would be able to do so all that said big fan of the approach let's go through some of the individual guys and not at a super deep level we're going to do that in our single player pods but let's just say like uh, let's let's just go through one so for ad i mean he might be la's best player soon as next season we'll see um he's almost right there already We've seen what he can do in the playoffs defensively when L.A. really leans into his versatility. And and this is a concept that I think is important to acknowledge, realize that this will exist and you don't need to get upset about it. But in the regular season, when teams want to just kind of play their coverage and play their scheme, for a lot of teams, that's drop coverage. From some other teams like Chicago, that was more aggressive screen coverages, some blitzing, some hard hedging. For the Lakers, it was drop coverage, and LA was more one of the, not one of the more aggressive teams in the league in terms of their screen coverages, and that's fine. In the regular season, they found a coverage that matched Dwight, or I'm sorry, JaVale starting. They had Dwight playing a good bit. They weren't really playing small a ton, but when they played with AD at the five, uh, they were able to execute that, or they can be a little bit more switchy, but primarily LA was a drop coverage team, and when you're doing that, AD is still able to have a defensive player of the year type impact and be a contender, but he might not win. And that's because the scheme that you're running doesn't fully lean into his talents and doesn't demand as much of him as he's able to give and as much as we've seen him be able to give in the playoffs. And that's fine. That's okay. If Giannis gets it or or Rudy Gobert gets it or Brooke Lopez, one of these other guys gets the DPOY, I, that's fine with me because the Lakers are running their team the right way. I'm focused on a title. They're preserving Anthony Davis. We know he's less that he'd prefer not to play center all that much during the regular season, during the playoffs. He has said, I'm good with that. I have no problem with that. Use me the best way to help the team win. And and we saw the Lakers lean into that. So during the regular season, running drop coverage worked just fine. We didn't see peak AD defensively in terms of the impact he could have because the Lakers were just kind of holding that bull back waiting for the playoffs to unleash that and that's okay but when they did we saw what he can do so I mean we know he's the the best defensive player in the NBA we've seen I mean if if you have our b-ball index data and tools package you saw on our DPOY dashboard that AD had the top DPOY score for for months um he he was that guy and we saw that we saw that come out we saw what this dude can do on the defensive end, be a top one, top two, top three defensive player. On the offensive end, he took quite a jump this this postseason and was almost kind of forced into it. Um, when you get a lot of your offense from being a role man and being one of the top two or three or five role men in the league, but then opposing teams just start switching the pick and roll or they start going under against LeBron and sticking with you and you're not able to roll at all, that, from some players, can completely just limit their impact. It makes it takes them out of the game. Uh, for a guy like JaVale McGee, if he if his roles aren't there and, and he's not able to get offense, then he's just kind of dependent on dump-offs and putbacks. But AD didn't let that portion of his offense being taken away remove him from LA's offense. Instead, excuse me, instead they replaced that with much more self-creation from him. And this is really where we saw a big jump. We saw AD's efficiency jump all over the place. We saw him score almost like an extra uh, tenth of a point per possession, which 
if you think about it from like an offensive rating standpoint, that's going from like, I don't know, a 100 offensive rating to a 110 offensive rating, which can be a huge difference. He added that self-creation. He was a perimeter isolation player. He was the top two perimeter isolation efficiency player in the playoffs. Top two, Anthony Davis, not LeBron James, Anthony Davis, not James Harden, Anthony Davis. Uh, Jamal Murray and Anthony Davis were those top two guys. If you look at the guys with, I forget what I did for the volume, but it was, it was I think, players that played more than one round. If he does more top two perimeter isolation this next regular season, that's maybe an MVP season we're looking at. But I, I don't think we'll see that because other teams, just like we said that the Lakers ran a certain scheme in the regular season, they changed their scheme for the playoffs, other teams will do the same thing. So we'll see the pick and roll running, run more, work more, get more, uh, off ball finisher types of possessions rather than creator types of possessions. But the step that we saw Anthony Davis take that he showed he was able, willing, and at an elite level to be that self-creation ISO guy on the outside and on the inside was just a huge step, especially when you consider the fact that round after round, we saw opposing teams defend him in his isolations by packing the paint and making life as difficult as they possibly could. Now, his mid-range efficiency may not be the most sustainable in the world, but he has shown us quite a bit, and I feel pretty good about him being probably a top 10 guy in perimeter isolation efficiency next year. He was he was a top 15 guy during the regular season uh, this, this past year, so if he can move, he doesn't need to be top 2, top 5, but if he can be in that 7 to 10 range, and he can be the role man that he is, and we know why teams are taking away that role. He scored almost 1.5 points per possession in the playoffs rolling. Actually, when he was running the pick and roll, he scored almost 1.7 points per possession as the ball handle. That's that's crazy. That's a part of his game I'd love to see more of. But it, we saw a lot from AD. We know he can do it. Um, we'll see more from him in the regular season with his roles. We understand why that portion of his game went away, and it had more to do with Caruso and LeBron and Rajon Rondo than it did with AD because teams could just go under those. Um now, if, if you do start getting, like, if the Lakers had Dame Lillard running the pick and roll, teams would have to switch. And then you still end up with those those isolations. But that's okay. AD showed us he can replace that portion of his offense. Um, just, I'm super thrilled with, with what he gave us this year. He was such a backbone. Having, having a guy his caliber be able to challenge LeBron in practice and in games and in a good way to be able to push him, be able to ask the right questions or tell him when he's doing something that he can he can tweak. Having a guy that caliber be able to provide that feedback and then also be able to collaborate with LeBron and Vogel and Vogel's staff just has tremendous value. This this is a, a big-time leader, a guy that helped set a culture that got more out of the Laker players defensively. And having a star in his prime is just a hell of a ride. And having that guy be your defensive anchor helps, I think, raise the rest of that team. We know that there's that badge in 2K where you're uh, being on the court just helps everyone else's offense. I think there's one for defense, too. He was he was that guy on defense. Um, and not just when he was in the game, but just in the franchise, in the locker room. So AD, we just saw so much from this this past year. Um, one, one thing I do want to hit on, now that I'm talking about teams who ran one scheme in the regular season, switched in the playoffs... The ability for LA to have the flexibility to do that is is key. Having having the personnel to do it was awesome. Having the coaching staff willing to do it is what makes it work. 
Um, or I mean, you need both pieces, but a team like Milwaukee, for example, they were incredibly uh, passive is not the right word. They were one of the least aggressive screen coverage teams. I mean, they, they were the least aggressive screen, screen coverage team in the regular season deep drop coverage they're not blitzing they're not sending double teams they're not hard hedging they're not switching that team was running deep drop coverage when they get to the playoffs not adjusting that not being able to play that chess match that we've seen round after round the Lakers need to adjust and do different things and okay Dwight's playing now all right now Markeith it's his series all of that Milwaukee just said no we're just gonna we're gonna be us and there are times in life and there are times as a basketball coach where sticking to your guns for certain things makes sense. But in that environment with how playoff basketball works, you need to be flexible. And we saw Milwaukee not be flexible and it burned them. And I think that's the opposite end of the spectrum of this. Um, but, but looking at the Lakers, having AD as that backbone allows you to to be flexible then maybe you look at a team like Denver where Nikola Jokic he's a huge piece of their team but he's not able to be as flexible defensively and he can be a weakness defensively and we saw that hurt Denver because they can't really take him off the court whereas for the Laker guys if we transition now into McGee and Dwight and and Markeith they aren't the most well-rounded players offensively or defensively but they're good at what they do and the Laker coaching staff, by having the roster that they did and being able to make the adjustments that they did, were able to say, okay, this is now Markeith uh, kind of series, or this is a Dwight series. We're going to see more and more Dwight against Jokic and really shut him down. If, if we were pay- paying Dwight Howard $10 million a year and he were our starting center, needing to sit him and, and maybe not having the bench depth and not planning for this would be hurtful for the Lakers and their title chances. But building a roster around low money big guys that give you flexibility that you can plug and play based on the matchup is really the key strategy that the Lakers went with that provided the versatility that they did it wasn't the guards it wasn't the wings those players those positions how that fits into this were was the Lakers had size and they were able to rebound well even when playing smaller but it really comes down to the big guys that's where this versatility stems from and, and that's just the root cause of all of this if we want to finish up with AD, uh, I will say that, you know, we, we know he wants to come back. Ellie, of course, should want him back. The only piece that really needs to be determined is the structure of his deal. Right now, he's an eight-year NBA veteran, so he's eligible for 30% of the Lakers' salary cap if he gets a max deal. Um, once he hits 10 years, that goes from 30 to 35%. So what we will likely see, this may not be what we see, but what we will likely see is... 80 sign maybe a two-year deal or a two plus one would be more likely where he's under contract for two years that gets him to his 10 years of service then he opts out and then he can resign for more money or if he gets hurt or his value goes down or he, he he i don't know shrinks a foot and a half and he he wants to opt into that third year he can do that and that provides some flexibility for him and some security uh for him financially from just personally now, I think that's what I, I'd project will happen. He could also sign a one plus one deal. Uh, the idea there would be if the COVID situation and if the cap scenario were to change drastically in the next 12 months and he can go into next offseason and then opt out and then resign a deal, another one plus one, uh, 
maybe he makes more money that way. It's a little bit riskier than the two plus one. I don't think we'll see this, but we could see it. Uh, we could also see AD sign a five-year deal, but I doubt that based on the other options available. If he were to sign that five-year deal now, he wouldn't be making that 35% of the cap. So he'd be losing out money, but he would be having more uh, security because he has that, you know, I'm locked in for five years. Now, if the cap were to drop a ton, it could make sense for AD to opt into next year is the final year of, of this deal with that player option, but that it would have to drop substantially. I don't think the league would let that happen. So I would say that that's unlikely and him opting into that deal is unlikely. So at this point, he can probably already say, you know what, I'm going to opt out. And it's just a matter of probably the two plus one, but maybe a one plus one, maybe there's really no reason for him to sign just a two-year deal. Uh, there's absolutely no reason for him to sign like a three-year deal, I don't think, unless he wants some middle ground between... See, see if he were to do that, he would just sign the two plus one. So I, I'm going to guess two plus one. We'll see what happens. But AD is going to be back. And by doing that two plus one, he'll also align with LeBron potentially opting out or needing to resign or leaving the Lakers or anything like that, which would set... LA up and set AD up well for them to just throw all the money in the world that they can at him to keep him and have him be the face of this franchise if by that point in time LeBron is more deteriorated as a player he's getting older or maybe he leaves maybe he goes and and tags up with his son on a team I don't know but that is what the AD situation looks like if we look at JaVale McGee this is a guy who I mean, certainly not the same players in Anthony Davis, but he was fine. He provided value to this team. He is a fine regular season center. We know in the regular season, the Lakers are most likely to just run their stuff, run that drop coverage, which he's a good fit for. And in the playoffs, we saw him become a situational piece like a Dwight Howard or a Markeith Morris, but not quite in the same way. And we'll, we'll get to that. But altogether, that, that's fine. If LA enters next season without the pieces available to have the flexibility, uh, that, that they can play big or play small. It, just having AD and McGee becomes less appealing to me, but he's under contract, so I'm fine rolling him out there. He's a shot blocker. He's a lob guy. We, he's, he's a good rim protector. We saw him be an elite rim protector in the playoffs when he did play. He executed screen coverages pretty well, probably better than the credit he gets. He's just not someone you want in a switch scheme. He wasn't getting his lobs. One, because LA couldn't find him when the defense was zoning up weak side, and that was an issue no matter who the big was. And two, because other teams were often switching pick and rolls or going under and sticking with him. Just like with AD, those role man possessions weren't there. But McGee doesn't have that other source of offense as a self-creator. He would have to, and he's not going to like abuse people in the post on a mismatch all that often. So, I mean, he can, but he, he hadn't. He hasn't. Uh, so he kind of was relegated to just finishing dump-offs, getting putbacks. I want to make the point that JaVale's not a direct overlap with Dwight. Dwight is the the biggest of the bigs. Morris is your your small ball guy. McGee's in the middle. And McGee, and the reason he fell out of the rotation wasn't because we saw a rise that much in Dwight or in Morris, but because AD is the one that makes JaVale's skill set redundant. And and what that spectrum turned into for LA was play play big big, you've got Dwight. Play normal big, you have AD at the five. Play small, you have Morris out there. And, and actually, we'll talk about this a little later, but when Morris was out there, sometimes AD was still the five and Morris was the four. But that was the spectrum. And where McGee falls is in the middle of Dwight and Morris where Anthony Davis was. Um, so the way this will look is 
in the regular season, you can have JaVale playing that five, chewing up those minutes, giving you good minutes, letting you run that base scheme. But once we get to the playoffs, expect to see him fade away more as AD takes more of those center minutes um, while still seeing Dwight and still seeing Markeith or whoever fills those big and small roles moving forward. Um, I, I just want to make the point that there are different archetypes of big men and the value that they provided to LA and McGee AD was that one overlap. It's not McGee Dwight. It's not AD Morris. It's Morris is his own, then AD McGee, and then Dwight. Um, but I mean, McGee can still provide value, but his role is still situational. He can, he can succeed, but if you face a strong interior post scorer like Jokic, he's a bad fit. If you face a strong offensive rebounding big, he can be a bad fit because he's not that good of a defensive rebounder, all things considered. And, and we have some data to back that up. If, if you need him to de- defend dynamic players in space, I mean, he's better than Dwight, but worse than Morris, worse than AD. If the other team is switching your pick and roll, he loses value. If he's not getting those lobs when teams are zoning up weak side and, and paint packing, he loses value. But if you have your pick and, game, pick and roll game working, you can uh, play non-switching ball screen coverages defensively and you're not facing like a big post or offensive rebounding threat. He's a great fit. So in the regular season, very playable. Uh, he, he gets more crap than he should um, because he's paid only $4 million a year. Like, I'm fine with that. That's okay. You've got him. He can play in the regular season, in the playoffs. Maybe he plays some minutes. Depending on the matchup, he might not play at all, and that's okay. He'll help you win another title. Getting through the regular season and keeping guys healthy is such a key piece to winning a title. And him being able to take up those center minutes instead of AD helps LA get back to where we are today, 12 months from now, or whenever the season happens. So that's how I see JaVale. Uh, I'm pleased with what we saw from him. He clearly has his strengths. He has his weaknesses. Put him in the right role to succeed. In the playoffs, we saw how that role was filled by AD, but overall, all things said, I'm okay with with JaVale on the team, and he's not someone I'm like, man, we need to get rid of this guy. This is an Albatross contract, or like, this is someone we can't have in the locker room, or anything like that. We know what he is. He did what he did, or he he provides what he provides, and and that's okay. Now, when we look at Dwight, this is someone who's a different kind of big. This isn't a JaVale McGee. What Dwight brings you is great rebounding on both ends of the court. He is an elite interior defender for post defense this is not JaVale McGee JaVale Markeith they're not that guy Dwight is that guy we saw him just be dominant in that role against Nikola Jokic and and go back a couple pods ago we covered just how much the Lakers dominated those Jokic minutes when Dwight was out there and how much Denver dominated the minutes when Jokic was out there without Dwight on the other side Dwight is also a good but not great rim protector uh, more as a, as a as a help defender. He's a lob threat, uh, but I mean, with all these lob threats, you have the same, if the Lakers won't throw to him against that zoned up defense, doesn't help you as much. And if the pick and roll is being switched, doesn't help you as much, but he is a lob threat and that's good to have. Uh, he was able to take advantage of some post mismatches at times and, and finish over guys. He's elite at just drawing fouls with his physicality, sometimes on both ends, but when he's any the situational role that he is as long as it's about even or, or he's even drawing more fouls than he's committing which was often the case that's beneficial to you even if it is causing whistles to be blown in terms of what he can work on I, I think he can fine-tune that physicality like we saw towards the end of the Denver series to be effective without necessarily needing some of the 
extra antics, just just beat the other team. You don't have to try to mentally go after other players. If you have the better team, just go out there and, and win. I think he can work on executing more of those, uh, what I forget what the Lakers call them, those, those Boston seals, those Boston screens that the Celtics and Tice have used quite a bit where you seal off the, your man so that you're creating a driving lane. And we saw Howard do this a bit, but this is the other option for if the defense is zoning up on you um, or, or like you're not getting those lobs on drives or, or when the LA is isolating. If you're not getting those lobs, go ahead and just seal your man off and create that driving lane. So we saw this from him. I'd love to see more of it. I think that's something the Lakers can focus on fine-tuning his technique on so he draws fewer fouls with it. But that would be another next step to his game. And with his physicality and size, he can be one of the best players in the league at that skill if he works on adding that skill to his skill set. My gut reaction was that LA needs to bring him back for next season, looking at just who there are among free agents or just anyone in general, even on rosters, there aren't many guys who do what Dwight does. Among free agents, I wouldn't say there are any one-for-one replacements for Dwight. The closest I could get were Whiteside, Robin Lopez, and Willie Hernan Gomez, all of whom are provide some of the value he does in a bunch of the different ways, but not to the same degree of magnitude. And they're all worse ball screen defenders, which is something that Dwight's not the best at, but he's not a sieve the way that you would just go at Hassan Whiteside in those situations. So all of that said, I think the key is like you, you want him back, but you don't, also don't want to overpay him. I don't think this will happen for the Lakers, but if a team is watching LA and what they did this postseason and decides that Dwight is worth their $9 million mid-level exception as, as like their answer, I think they've misread what where his value was. His value is in that flexibility to play him for a series and then sit him for a series based on the matchup. If he is your key piece and you're paying him as such and you build in less flexibility, there's less value there. We saw a series where it was best just to not play him, or especially with the style LA was 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 playing offensively where it just became uh, not, not worthwhile to have him out there. And if you look at, I mean, we, we know the value he brings, but if you look at which teams he would be able to do what he did against Denver, against other opponents, just looking at the West. And, and again, this is a West that pretty much everybody next year will be looking to make the playoffs, at least as it stands today. Who, where, where is he providing that value? Denver, again. Maybe Dallas. Maybe San Antonio. Maybe Minnesota. Maybe New Orleans. Probably not New Orleans. Only a couple teams. How many of them are going to make the playoffs? How many of them are going to actually see the Lakers in the playoffs? How many of them will we need to do that in order to actually beat them in the playoffs? Those are the questions you need to ask. In the East, Vucevic and Embiid. But, I mean, those teams probably aren't making the finals. And with both of those teams and with any of these, you also have to consider whether or not it's just better playing AD at center or playing Markeith and going even smaller compared to to playing big. There there are options. It is good to have this option, but if you look at the environment, I'm not sure like it's not you're not going to have like a 50% chance of like oh man, we this is another huge Dwight series that we can't win without him. Um there aren't too many teams out there that would put you in that scenario just based on 
who they have and where the dominant post players are. Now, Dwight would be someone that I, I think would be interesting to play against the Lakers, in, in theory. Uh, obviously not the, the like perimeter defender, and LA might be able to go after him in that way, but if looking at other dominant post players, there aren't that many out there where you say, okay, Dwight is our answer, and he's worth five, seven, nine million dollars to be on our roster just in case. So for that reason, if if he wants to return on a minimum deal, you take him. He's I think he's talked about he he very he clearly appears happy in LA. He's made a ton of money in the league. This is his chance for another title. If he wants back, take him. But I wouldn't pay too much more than the minimum to to make that happen. So again, there aren't really any real replacements for him if he doesn't come back. You're not finding someone that defends the rim, wins the boards, and is in a sieve as a ball screen defender like him, but you can look at Whiteside, you can look at Robin Lopez, like I said, you can look at Willie Hernan Gomez. Um, not uh, super appealing options. Uh, I, I think they each provide value. They each can help you on the boards. They can help you defend the rim. The The ball screen defense w- would be the concern with each of them. Um, but I think those are some of the pieces that you can look at. And if we pull up some of their player profiles. And then the other caveat to this is you need these guys to be willing to take not all that much money, which would be easier for some than for others. If you look at Whiteside, someone who's not versatile defensively, he's not a great one-on-one kind of guy on the outside. He's, he's a decent post player. He's uh, a good finisher at the rim. He's not a playmaker. Um, he's going to finish dump-offs. He is not a three-point shooter. Um, good rebounder, really good defensive rebounder, not a perimeter defender, really good interior defender, uh, 99th percentile block, blocks per 75 possessions, 99th percentile rim point saved per 36 minutes playing. Uh, there's a lot of value there. He, he was a high impact guy, high PIPM, high RPM, high Raptor, hell high BPM offensively, defensively. He was a good player. For the role that you need him to play, for the money he might make, I don't know if you can make that work. Who are the other guys? Robin Lopez, I said. That might be somebody that would be willing to to take less money. Gold box out guru badge, gold rim protector badge. Another player that's not all that versatile. He's not a great finisher at the rim. He's someone who's not a good playmaker. Um, but he can beat up some post mismatches if another team switches. He's an okay rebounder, not nothing spectacular, but he's a good rim protector. Um, hasn't been a good impact guy, but in a, in that small role, maybe he is someone you look to 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 fill the white shoes. Maybe not in the same way, but uh, in just kind of that type of of mold. Hernan Gomez, good finisher, not a good shooter, not much of a playmaker, not a post player. That's a little bit different from the other two. Um, an okay rebounder, not nearly the same level of an interior defender as the other two. So I, I don't know. They, they, the options aren't great. I'd look at Robin Lopez, I think, if you're looking to replace Dwight, and uh, that might be taken out of context somewhere and people might laugh at me. But that is the type of guy that I think could be had at not much money and provide that type of role just in case you do face a team that, that attacks you in the way that Dwight was able to um, rebuff. 
And then the last guy, Markeith Morris. He was another huge piece for the Lakers during the playoffs. Again, situational. He added flexibility. He is that's the smallest of the fives the Lakers would use. Like we said before, sometimes when he was out there, it was really AD at the five. But sometimes it was Markeith at the five, AD defending the four, or Markeith out there at the five and LeBron defending the four. Or I don't know. I don't know if we saw Kuzma defending the four. But in theory, he can be your five. Not all the time. You don't want to pay him like it's going to be all the time. But in theory, he can do that. His shooting was a huge boost. And having him just seemingly go off and, and shoot like five for six from deep or four for five or five for seven, every once just once every handful of games, once a series, can swing a game. Um, and the thing is, he's not just an average shooter. He's not your Jeff Green from the perimeter. Jeff Green can, can do a bunch of different things. He's an okay perimeter shooter. No, Markeith Morris, he, he had an A-minus three-point shot-making rating this year at B-Ball Index. Even adjusting for the degree of difficulty, he was a really, really good three-point shooter. He was one of only eight bigs in the whole league. This is everyone. This isn't just free agents. One of eight bigs in the whole league that was that good as a three-point shot-maker this season, that's a big. One of eight. There aren't, there aren't many Markeiths. This was such a great... Uh, what, like trade trade deadline ad around that timeline? Um, having his role, maybe not exactly him, but having someone in that role be able to play small, take your McGee's and your Howard's off the court, have somebody who can play in that switching scheme will be critical for the Lakers next season. Maybe it's a power forward kind of guy. Maybe it's a center kind of guy. Either way, most of the time they'll be playing with AD out there along with them. Um, but, you know, bring, bring Markeith back if you can, if the money works. He might opt out. Uh, there, there might be other options that could work. If we look at some of those other options, let's see. Among those eight players that we talked about, A- minus or better three-point shot making that are bigs. <laughs> By the way, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., Kevin Love, Kristaps Porzingis, Carl Anthony Towns are the four guys who meet that criterion that are under contract. Bigs that shoot don't grow on trees. Not that shoot this well, at least. There are, however, three other guys that will be or, or are potentially free agents. Kelly Olenek, who has a player option. Paul Millsap and Myers Leonard. Those are all guys that had A-minus or better three-point shot-making ratings that are bigs. They're not all Markeith Morris types of players, but they're possible potential floor-spacing guys. Now, if you want to be playing the Markeith Morris kind of role, I think Paul Millsap would very clearly be the lead of that group, and then maybe I'd rank Olenek, then, then Leonard. Um, Millsap can play that small ball five role like Morris did. Be in your switching scheme, be able to space the floor. Millsap, just on his own right, is a very good player. I don't know if the Lakers will be able to afford him. If he will take the mid-level exception, and if the Lakers, after figuring out their Rondo and KCP situations, have that exception, they should be thrilled to be able to get him. And if he isn't going to a, well, Phoenix, if they don't keep Sarge, but they probably will. Uh, the other four teams are, what, Detroit, who isn't competing. Charlotte, who isn't competing. Atlanta, who isn't competing, but maybe more aggressive than the others. And then New York, who isn't competing, but again, maybe aggressive trying to grab some guys. Which of those four teams wants Paul Millsap? I, I don't know. Maybe Atlanta? But if those four teams aren't getting him other teams are all over the cap or should be over the cap. And the Lakers may be in a situation, um, and, and, and Denver should be able to, to bring Millsap back. But if Millsap is looking to chase a title and 
can be looking at the Lakers nine million compared to a bunch of other offers for literally the same amount of money from other teams that only have exceptions. If he's willing to take a little bit less than what Denver might be able to give him, not a ton less, but a little bit less, that might be an option. Um, maybe that mid-level is more than what uh, Millsap might get from Denver. I don't know. I'll have to take a look at their cap sheet and try to analyze it from there. But I want to say that with the environment the way it is, the Lakers enter the offseason in a pretty good position from an exception standpoint because not a lot of other teams have more money than that to spend on other teams' players. Now, for their own players, they might be able to go a little bit over. But if you are a free agent and you're looking at five different teams pitching you, usually they're for different amounts of money and you have to consider a bunch of different things. This offseason, you might be looking at five teams who want to sign you in the years and the money is exactly the same for all of them. So if you're looking to break that tie, why don't you go to LA? Why don't you go to the team that just won a title in a role that can probably earn you some more money as we might see with KCP and Rondo this offseason in a location that's fantastic, playing with two of the best five players in the league, five best five or six, I don't know, two of the top players in the league that's a pretty attractive option. So the Lakers are well positioned. Maybe it's not Millsap, but they should be able to go after one of these guys. And I need to go do some math and figure out what that tier might look like. But LA should be able to win that tiebreaker over a lot of teams to get the guy that they want based on the cap situation in the league this year. So take a look at Millsap if you can't bring back Morris, but I'd be willing to bring back Markeith, keep him in that same role. Don't overpay him. Same thing as Dwight. Um, among other possible small ball bigs that can shoot, but just not quite as well. You have Jermichael Green, great option. Jeff Green, good option. James Johnson, good option. All in the free agent pool. Jeff Green is a tier lower of a three-point shooter than the other two. He's like a, I think he had a three, uh, I'm sorry, a C plus three-point shot making rating. Whereas the other two were in like the B plus range, B, B plus range. So that would be who I'd be looking at. Millsap, Green, Green, Johnson, Olenek and Leonard aren't quite those, like, they're not like the small ball kind of guys, but Olenek, we, we saw what he can provide. Um, some of that is system-based in Miami. If LA can replicate some of that, that'd be cool. Um, if not, he's still a guy that can roll, can pop, slips very well, slips among the best of them, um, spaces the floor. So there are some options there. I don't think he's quite the fit for, like, Markeith, uh, but... That could be another type of guy that you add that's a big player that can shoot, that can space the floor. Because in JaVale and Dwight, you don't quite have that. So those are some things to consider. Leonard is a guy that can space the floor and defend the rim a little bit. He has some very glaring, clear weaknesses as well, but might be another player that... Let me pull him up. Might be a guy that that you take a look at. Myers Leonard, gold box out guru badge. Not versatile, but a very good three-point shooter. He good finisher at the rim when he's there. He's not a playmaker. He's a good pop guy, a good roll guy, a good slip guy. He's not a post player. He's not a good rebounder on either end of the court. Not a good perimeter defender. His interior defense, he, he can deter shots from the rim pretty well, and he'll contest them. He uh, isn't the best, like, he, he's not the most domineering uh, rim defender, Players actually tend to shoot better when he's defending them than we would expect for them to shoot at the rim. So not nearly the same guy as a McGee or a Dwight. And actually even Morris did a really good job with this in the postseason. LeBron did a great job with this. So Leonard doesn't quite replicate that skill set, but still had an A-minus D 
defensive PIPM, defensive RPM. He had a C defensive Raptor, so not quite agreement there among those. But in the right role, he can make some sense as a stretch big offensively that defensively can at least contest shots at the rim, maybe not the best. Um, so I don't know. There, there's some more options. I'll dig into them more on Twitter in future podcasts. I'll, I'll chop it up with Tom and, and discuss these guys. But those are some of the Laker bigs and potential replacements for them or, or just kind of the situation. Uh, I believe that is it for today. But we have guards. We have wings. I need to get on here with Tom and we can celebrate. Uh, congratulations to everyone. Thank you for following along with us and with us rebooting this. I know the last time we were we were doing these pods, we were talking about Nigel Hayes' 10-day contracts and do we want Alex Caruso or Tyler Ennis to be our like third point guard. Discussions like that are very different now, very different these days. Um, but it's been a fun ride. Thanks for, for sticking along. And we have a ton of great off-season content, the same sort of analysis, a little bit more laid back. Uh, but I have put together a schedule and I think we'll be able to hit two or three pods per week. Ideally, we'll see what happens. Life can get in the way sometimes, but we'll be here to provide that Laker coverage and keep you up to speed on the data, the film, the options. I've been researching cap stuff and just reading through the CBA in my free time. So trying to be as holistic as possible with this analysis. That's what you can find over at the Lakers Exceptionalism podcast. Go subscribe. Uh, don't like, obviously like us, but, uh, write reviews, give us some five-star ratings, help other Laker fans see us. Um, if you have any feedback, feel free to send that as well. If you have any suggestions or questions, hit me up on Twitter at Tim underscore NBA. I will catch you next time. Thanks everyone for joining. Bye. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.